All right, Kat Schneider from Ritual.com is here. Uh, she makes vitamins and she does it really well. Um, and she went out to raise money when uh, she was pregnant. And I've heard from a number of female founders who we've invested in. That's always an interesting experience. Uh, tell me, how did that go for you? I feel like I'm always pregnant raising money now, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it's my last, last Well, you time. had three kids over a six-year span and it was yeah, the same five, span yeah. of or the same six years that you started a company. So no degree of difficulty there, obviously. No, it's become the norm. It's become the norm, yeah. Uh, but but, but tell, I, I, don't, I couldn't do it, I don't think. I don't, or, but you did it. I mean, it's super impressive. Um, but what did the VCs, what was their reaction to you? So it was interesting because I came from the VC space. I came from investing in, in companies and I knew a lot of VCs early on. And yeah. it's interesting that a lot of the VCs that actually went to kind of passed because they didn't want to touch the vitamin space. Um, and and then there were VCs, one in particular that I I had I had an investor who I knew for a long time tell me, and I think in a more friendly way, like you can't start a company and um and have a family at the same time. Like trust me. <laughs> wow. <That's laughs> so a, I think yeah. You would never say that to a guy. You would send no. them a onesie with the VC's logo on it. Like, you would never yeah. say to a guy, like, you're having a baby. I mean, it. there is some truth that it is challenging to have kids while yeah, being an entrepreneur. Yeah, he was right. It was challenging. It's he was challenging. challenging. But that's... But I would... Yeah. yeah, but I also don't... Yeah, for me, it was it was fuel. It was, it was really empowering because I wanted to prove him wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also would have never started the company you know, had I not had that experience of, of being pregnant I, and, and now was worth thinking of other products as well, being a mom of three over the last five years. Um, it's really impacted how I think about kind of this family context and what we should launch next and what, um, you know, families and moms want. So it's actually been incredibly important for our business. Um, cause I'm building and building this company at the end of the day for myself as well. Yeah, I mean, understanding your customer is at the core of product innovation, marketing, customer service, all of these things. If you don't understand who you're, if you don't understand your customer or have an ideal customer profile, you know, how can you ever hope to to build them a product? You you are the ideal customer profile. You're uh, a, a woman who has multiple kids, which means multiple vitamin journeys right i mean mm -hmm. you have the prenatal and then kids take vitamins I, I was lucky enough to be an investor in a company called smarty pants my friend mm -hmm. gordon gould who's just been a friend of mine from new york was like, i'm starting this thing i was like yeah yeah put it here's 50k or whatever and then this company became giant it's like unbelievable how big it's become now um and i think they started maybe five years before you um you're in kids vitamins now too i take it yeah we will be. You will yeah. be, yeah. I knew that was coming. Don't say anything bad about <laughs> Smarty Pets, but they, they've done pretty well. It's a, it's a pretty good category, yeah? Yeah, it. Uh, I think that, um, and I know, and this is kind of the, the reason we're going into family is just once you have a family, you start caring about the health of, of your your kids and your, your partner um, more than you even care about yourself. Uh, and so that, that's a really interesting kind of transition that we're seeing for a lot of our, our customers. We, and I, and I, I don't remember if I mentioned this, but we, so when we launched the prenatal, we only launched that about two, uh, about two years ago. 
It's actually become um, one of the top selling prenatals in the US. We sold out of it um, about a month ago and we had over 20,000 people on the wait list already. Wow. And that's just yeah. only increasing. It's a prenatal. It's not like a eye cream or something. Right. <laughs> um, so you got to get through fit. that wait list pretty quick because there is a ticking clock. I mean, if people are signing up for it, they, you know, you have to get them the, the vitamins quickly. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's kind of become a cult product and we need to, can't wait for it to come back. So today on the program is John Hayes from Ghost Locomotion, which they just go by Ghost. Uh, welcome to the podcast, John. Hey, glad to be here. But is there any technology that could be game-changing either in chip technology or sensor technology that's in the work that people are looking at going, well, if that goes right, boy, that could be a game-changer. Are there any game-changers you can think of? So, so the interesting sensor technology I'm looking at, and no one quite builds it. Um, I've seen presentations, they all say 18 months away, which is like never. Yeah, that's the standard and technology. That is, yeah. yeah, and that is um, 5G. And it's not, and not using it for data transport. But one of the things that 5G has is it has a beamforming radar in it. Ah, so 5G at its high frequencies operates at the same frequencies as radar. Yeah. But instead of just being a single pulse that you send out in the scene, you can actually scan the scene by controlling the direction of the beam. Wow. And so what, what's interesting to me about that is first you could make a high resolution radar return, but based on solid state devices that are in every single phone. So wow. you get high quantity, high quality, you know, that'll drive the power down, drive the cost down. So you have those forces. So there's something there in, the, in you're going to have one side of it, the 5G people, you know, driving the cost on the antenna design, driving the cost on the DSPs or, or however you process the signals. Yeah. And that would be very interesting for us as a really, call it unintelligent collision avoider. Right. In that it doesn't have to understand anything. All it has to do is say, I want to avoid frontal collisions, and you could build a very, very simple system that would prevent all forward collisions. I think that would be a very interesting advance. Why doesn't that exist as a standard safety technology that every car is required to have, you know, under 35 miles an hour, slam on the brakes if you're going to hit something within five feet of you, period? Like, shouldn't that be much easier than self-driving to create as a, you know, airbag type you know, stepping stone along the way and just get rid of every single fender bender and then retrofit every old car. Like that could be a, a $300 product for you that insurance companies would pay for and say, you know what? No more fender benders. Technology in the auto industry evolved very slowly. <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. It's like, it already has to be proven. And some of that is because when you, when you build something into a car, as mm. opposed to adding it on, cars have like a 20 year lifetime. Right. And so that's often why technology in the auto industry tends to lag the consumer industry by five to seven years, because it takes a bunch of extra time to prove that some piece of electronics is going to last 20 years into the future. And so I, I think it, it's something that they'll probably, it'll, yeah. it probably will that be seems introduced to be like cars, the ultimate, but... Yeah. That'd be the ultimate aftermarket thing. Just no fender benders. You put this device like, a, you know, those in, those in grill radar detectors you can get aftermarket, like an in grill device that just slams on the brakes. If there's something right in front of it, you just solve that one acute problem. That's got to be half of all accidents or tiny 35 mile an hour or less fender benders, right? Yeah. 
And we're very lucky to have our guest on the program today. He's an internet legend and he has been building, uh, I think, his life's work for the last couple of decades, the Internet Archive, uh, which many of you know as the Wayback Machine, the ability to look back and see what was on the web uh, in the past. Welcome to the program, Brewster Cal. How are you? Thank you. It's great to be here. Talk to us a little bit about what you've accomplished so far in basically backing up software um, and then yep. what you haven't figured out yet. Because I think the app stores are a particularly hard oh, yes. problem the to internet solve. internet era software. So we started with the old, old stuff um, by working with these communities. There's a community of people that had been building um, emulators that yes. are kind of, you know, kind of MAME and these awesome emulators. Um, but they were difficult to use, frankly. And, you know, it took, you know, some real dedicated effort. And there are other communities that were dedicated to the Amiga, or the Commodore 64, the Apple II, and they, um, or some of the old game consoles that they went and, you know, basically took the, the bits off of the proms. Um, to try to get them into the emulators. And working with these different communities, there's this guy named Jason Scott that works for the archive. And he said, I think I figured it out. We could go and emulate those games, those old platforms, the Apple II or IBM PC, in your browser by using JavaScript. And I said, no way. That's never going to work. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a little time and, and no budget. And uh, let me uh, see if we <laughs> I can just work with these these different communities to get it to go. And they took MAME, which is this emulator software written in C, and they used Inscripton to cross-compile it into JavaScript. Oh, my God. Uh, and then got it. So when you go to the archive.org and go to the historic games collection or go to the IBM PC, you click on it, it downloads the emulator in JavaScript and it boots an IBM PC in your browser. It's amazing. It's just surreal that this works. And then it goes to, to the Internet Archive as a virtual floppy drive to go mm. and get the software and amazing. then download that in, into, the, into your browser and you're, and you're playing Oregon Trail. It's, Interestingly, uh, it's that pretty wild. is that's my experience. My wife and I uh, knew about Oregon Trail from the '80s and '90s when we had that game on a floppy disk. We told our daughter about it; she was obsessed with it. And the way we found it was, if you go to the Internet Archive, um, you can find the MS DOS version of it and hit power and hit play and just play it in the emulator right there. Your childhood popping right up for you to see whether it's Atari or Commodore 64, all that software. Not okay, Jason. I gotta ask: yeah. Did you ever win at Oregon Trail, or did you always <laughs> die somewhere always by died, Indians always. or dysentery? Yeah, I mean, always die. And then you you also have Prince of Persia on there, which is a really good book out right now about the story of the creator of Prince of Persia. That like the strike. Oh, I've, I've been trying. I I can't get that to. I I die every time. When we <laughs> put up these, it was so fun. So Jason Scott got all this together, and we sort of came up with you know a few thousand games and and uh and some of the old productivity software. I'd actually never. Oh, I, right. I'd use Excel and I'd used uh, Lotus One Two Three, but Visicalc was the original Visicalc. spreadsheet. Yeah. I'd never actually been. So I thought it was going to be people are going to wow, you can actually use Visicalc. It's like <laughs> nope. It was Oregon Trail. And yeah. so people just went for Oregon Trail and it melted our servers and we had to go and reinforce it and put copies up. And it was so fun um, as people were trying to discover and kind of relive their the uh, the 80s and 90s. Um, so a little bit of nostalgia, but also be able to show it to their kids. It's like, hey, and some of it actually 
is worth reusing. The th cool thing about Oregon Trail is you always lose. It is just <laughs> such a non-2020 where everybody's a winner. Yeah, yeah here's no, a trophy no. <laughs> for showing up. It's like, nah, you die. And you're okay. Let's figure out another way for you to die. Um, yeah. And so anyway, uh, I, I have met a few people that have actually won an Oregon Trail, but I think it's just evidence of of misspent youth. 